People are afraid because of such oppression. They are afraid. In, they are oppressed inwardly by their own mistakes and outwardly by the injustices that seem to be manifesting against them. This is the world that Jesus stepped into. The language that we would use in 2023 would be, it, it's a world of cold war of sorts. In this cold occupation, it wasn't new for the people of Israel. There are numerous examples of the land being occupied and the people being entrapped by their captors on some level. And that's the world where we meet Jesus in the Gospels. Jesus comes into this world and he turns that world upside down eventually. As you walk through the story of the, of the Gospels, you see there are rumors of Messiah in the Old Testament. Numerous prophecies that are rumoring that this one will come and he will bring peace and he will establish the power of the people of Israel. He will put this nation into place. However, when he gets there, he does not... He does not act in a way that anyone expects him to act or do many of the things that so many who were in leadership expect him to do. He subverts expectations when he meets them at all. In the midst of all that is Israel at this point in history, the people begin to hear rumors of things that someone is doing that is far way off. They hear rumors of a miracle of miracle wine at a wedding. The best wine for last. There's authoritative teaching on a mountain where he divides the crowd simply by saying who he is teaching to. Because if you'll remember or if you're unfamiliar with the text, it says that the crowds came to him and he taught his disciples. The murmurs are spreading of, of this Messiah. Lepers are being healed. Paralyzed people are walking. The blind see. Mute people are talking. Dead people are alive. The hearts of the people are stirring and the interest of the Pharisees is peaking because this plan of Jesus does not seem to be their plan. He sends out his people and at some point he drops this line. As he is sending them out, he says to them, Do not come, do not think that I have come to bring peace but a sword Jared and I sat down to walk through this Advent with the Apostles series and we began to look at various texts and I'll be transparent with you when you want to have a conversation about the Advent theme of love you know where you're going Apostle wise you're going to John because that man loves to talk about love when we want to have conversations about hope, uh, of, as we did last week, we can look and see where Peter shares with us about hope. Well, we can see the notion of joy in the life of the Apostle Paul. However, as I looked and as I read, it was very difficult for me when I got to the concept of peace because you see this one idea of elevated peace in all of uh, the teachings of an apostle where Matthew says this about Jesus. He quotes him. It stood out to Matthew enough for him to write it down. Do not think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword. That's a difficult thing for us to hear on a, in the celebration of Advent. It, it, this does not seem to be good at all. Who wants to celebrate this type of... Th this isn't holiday-infused. In Matthew 10, Jesus is preparing his disciples for all the conflict that will come as the good news of who he actually is and not just what, he, what people want him to be. 
So open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at 32 through 39. Seeing what was about the actual peace of Jesus in light of what the totality of Scripture teaches about who this Jesus is. Matthew 10, picking up in verse 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before the others, I will uh, therefore everyone who will acknowledge me, me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. Do not assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it. Anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The word therefore is helpful for us and we'll deal with that in just a few moments. But the first thing that we see from this text is that Jesus is saying, everyone who will acknowledge me before others, I will acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But if you deny me, I will deny you. The term acknowledge is very interesting. It's in a reference to the notion of us being able to say to whomever, I would not be here without you. I would not be here without you. When we look at it in light of what Jesus is teaching us in this text, he is saying to us that for those who follow him, they realize above all else, we have no hope apart from him. No matter how well we may do or how much we may earn or the good that we could offer to our world, we have a hope, a joy, a peace in this that there is only one way for us to stand before God the Father as accepted. And that is the person of Jesus. As Avery celebrated with us just a few moments ago, that we would see and acknowledge that only Jesus is able to make us right before God. Whoever denies me, I will deny him before my Father in heaven. When you look at this phrase of Jesus, what stands out the most is only someone who is divine can make that claim. Because Jesus is speaking on behalf of God. He is speaking as God. We then get to our primary focus of Matthew's acknowledgement of peace in this passage. Do not assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. That's what I've heard my entire life at Christmas. We sang it this morning. We sang about peace. What is being said in those songs? What is taking place when we are referencing the notion of peace? 
This is not the Christmas that I signed up for. Where are the values of my childhood? What about the 1950s? Where are the Christmas cookies with icing and sugar and dough? N.T. Wright says this, Christmas has become cozy. It is, really. Think about the nostalgic things that you are tied to when you consider the Christmas season. Even the things that are not necessarily spiritual, there is a coziness to them. For us, it's climbing into the attic. Just me. I'm the one who climbs into the attic. And getting down the blankets that look like Christmas stuff. And bringing those so that my children in our freezing 74 degrees Lake Jackson weather will be covered. Except today. It's so cold outside. They'll be covered up as they're watching Elf or whatever other Christmas movie that they're leaning into. And you think about the various things that you do as a family over Christmas season. The cookies that you eat, that you bake, the relationships that you have, the party mix that you make, the friends that you spend time with, the rhythms that are there. And it's changed so much because I can remember in the late 1900s when I was in high school, (laughs) Thanksgiving break was two days long. That's plenty of time for gratitude. Two days These children were out of school a week this year. These kids are out of school more than they're in school now. Then you get to the Christmas time. And again, years ago, we had maybe one play for your class. Now there's a party every day. There's a Grinch day. There's a not Grinch day. There's a reverse Grinch day. There are so many days for you to celebrate. We celebrate more than we study. I believe that. It's so, so different. When we consider what's being said, we have been given this notion of what Christmas is as this time of comfort. Yet, when we look to Jesus, he is saying here, what I have come to undo in this world is altogether different. In the world of Jesus, there were no Christmas cookies, of course. The, the manger that we celebrate, that we think about, the stories of wise men. That's not just a world in a place far away that just exists in a mythological land. This isn't Narnia for as much as Lewis has done for us. In the world of Jesus, the presence of the Romans caused tension and strife. They were controlled by the Romans through puppet kings like King Herod. Taxation was rampant. Though the Romans were not allowed, did not believe they should tax more than 10%, their assistants would go in and tax on top of them. The assistants of the Romans, like Zacchaeus, like Matthew, would charge on top of what the Romans would take to, make, to get a cut for themselves. The Jewish people at times would be taxed up to 85 and 90%. Women were betrayed by their family members. It was an oppressive situation. The Roman soldiers were everywhere. There was nowhere that you would go where one was not. This brought about clashes between the Romans and the people. The sword that Jesus references is a symbol for conflict and division. It is in no way peaceful to have a conversation about a sword. And when you look at it, we have to ask, who is holding the sword here? In a world where there is going to be a division, who has their hand on the sword? 
When Jesus says, do not think that I have come to bring peace, but a sword, what is he saying? This is symbolic language. This is not a literal sword like we'll see in the book of Revelation eventually. Jesus isn't holding it. He's not doing the cutting here. He's acknowledging that his presence cuts in and of itself. He doesn't even condone the use of the sword. As a matter of fact, at the end of Matthew's gospel, he tells Peter to put his sword away and heals the ear of a man who's trying to arrest him. Where is the division coming from? Well, the division is already present. We can see that when we look into the text. Uh, Context is king. And when we get to the word therefore, as I mentioned earlier, we have to ask, why is, what is that helping us to understand? Where is the division in Matthew's gospel when we're having a conversation about our world's peace versus the peace of God? Matthew 10, 16. Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. This is not Jesus dividing. He's saying there is division that is already present. Be as shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. He says in Matthew 10, 17, Beware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and they will flog you in their synagogues. If you are not... Please don't miss this. He's speaking of the religious leaders who claim to be believing the same thing that he believed. In Matthew 10, 23, When they persecute you in one town, flee to another. For truly I tell you, you have not gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus is pointing out the division that's present and the division that's present that is undoing the peace that God will eventually wholly bring is the war that we are at with sin. Jesus, verse 5, Matthew 10, rather, 10, verse 35, For I come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. Some of y'all are like, I get that completely. That's just not out of the blue. It's a reference to Micah. In the lament of Micah, in chapter 7, he says this, Surely a son considers his father a fool. Must have been 17. A daughter opposes her mother. A daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies are the men of his own household. You can see that when Jesus is talking about peace in this passage, he's talking about the peace that the world believes to be peace. I did not come to settle things down. Jesus comes to turn things over. And I want to have the values of Jesus. And if we're his followers, we should all want that. How is Jesus functioning differently? Jesus is the Prince of Peace. But when you see the coming of the Messiah in this Christmas story that we think about, the anticipation of his coming that we consider every year at Advent, We have to acknowledge that the final culmination of strife, it's not here. No matter how many carols you sing this season, there is a war in the Middle East, and there is a war between Russia and the Ukraine, and there are wars that you don't know about in third world countries all around the globe. 
we, if we simply treat peace as if it is something that we talk about at Christmas and we look at our world, it looks as if Jesus failed. If all that he is is the note of a Christmas carol. I went to the kids' chapel to speak. They have chapels. There was an elementary school chapel, and there's a high school chapel, and or rather a middle and a high school chapel. And I'll do the middle high school one some. And then occasionally they'll ask me to do the kids' chapel, and it's different because they're children. And I shared with them some of what the Lord taught us as a church when we walked through 1 John just a, just a while ago, just recently. When I get into the cafeteria where we're having this, I stare into the eyes of the infected. Am I right, teachers? They're all infected right now with something. And we talked about how God has a great love. That's what 1 John 3 says. How great is the love the Father has given to us. And we, I even allowed them to share with me a synonym for the word great. And they got some really good ones. Huge, massive, impactful. I didn't even know you could know three syllables at that age. And somehow we got to the point where we discussed that the great love of God has been expressed to us in a little baby. And there's a point where that same John will write, about this baby where he says, Jesus grows up and says, I did not come to condemn the world. I came so that it would be saved because the world is condemned already. So when we look into the Advent season, the first coming, he came as a baby to deal with God's war on sin. There is a war that is present in each and every one of our souls. We have told God that he is not God for far too long. And Jesus came to make it so that we could be right with God in right relationship so that the eternal peace of God can be internal in us even though as we look around it doesn't seem as if this is a peaceful situation. The second coming is a little bit different because there is a day that he will come to judge. He will come as a judge to cancel all war against God whatsoever. That day is not today. The war against God in the hearts of humanity, the war against those who are made in the image of God is still very present in our midst. We don't have to look far. We don't have to look long. We don't have to look beyond our dinner tables at times. That war is there, and there will be a day where that is removed. And we see that in the book of Isaiah. What will eventually happen when Jesus comes? Now, initially, we see Christ coming in the form of a baby. He comes to establish peace. And for every one of us who would look and say, well, but where's that peace now? Why is this not peaceful? We should be grateful that he came as a baby because if he had come as a judge, we would have all been dealt with immediately. He will come as a judge one day to undo the peaceless world in which we live. And everything that is wrong, every single thing will be made right by the only one who is truly righteous. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 2 through 4. About that day, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established 
at the top of the mountains and will be raised above the hills. All nations will stream to it and many people will come and say, Come, let's go, go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us about his ways so that we may walk in his path. For instruction will go out of Zion and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will settle disputes among the nations. He will provide arbitration for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plows and the spears into pruning knives. Nation will not take up the sword against nation. And they will never again train for war. There is a day that is coming when all that is wrong with the world will be made right. And the one who will bring it is Jesus. Verse 37 of Matthew 10. The one who loves a mother or a father more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Worthy is a word that doesn't deserve me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. That's pretty heavy when you begin to consider the way that you love your kids and the way that I love my kids. The way that we love our parents. Jesus is saying to us that he is to be central to our understanding of our place in this world and the people that surround us. And there will be moments because we have aligned ourselves with the Prince of Peace that it seems as if we are divided. And the reason that it seems as if we are divided is because we are because we are but the hope that he offers is better it's more it's greater it's everlasting because in Jesus God's people have a brand new different way not trying to find our place in this world in in the midst of its hostility and harshness but finding ourselves in the person of Jesus as our only hope And we as a family of faith today get to celebrate where God meets with each and every one of us. Because he meets with us at the cross. For us as believing people, if you're a follower of Christ, I'm grateful that you're here. And whether you're a member of grace or not. If you have a relationship with Christ, who is the Prince of Peace, who has come to make it so that you can know God and that God can know you. If you're a believer in Jesus, then when we take communion in a moment, you're invited to come to the table. If you're not a believer, we're grateful that you're here. We would ask that you just refrain from coming to the table because it doesn't really mean anything for you. It means a lot for us. If you have questions about that, I'm at the back corner of the room. I'd love to chat with you. I'd love to share with you what it means to place your trust in Jesus. Not just for him to be Lord, but for him to be your Lord. What it means for you to know him as your Lord, as your King, as your God. For you to acknowledge him in a way that aligns with what Scripture teaches. Let me pray for us this morning. Jesus, we thank you for today. We thank you for the chance that we have to get into your word and to see what it says to us about real peace. Eternal peace. Earth-shattering peace. Sin-canceling peace.
eternal peace. God, be with us as we sing today. Considering your goodness toward us in the cross and the hope that we have in your resurrection, we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.